This is a podcast from the Business Times. Investing can be scary, especially for newbies. There are all these cliches out there, advice all over the place, and worst of all, you don't even know where to start. First things first, mindset, and then think long term. Without those, you'll be jumping on bandwagons, following like a lemming, and losing the shirt off your back. Welcome to Money Hacks, a podcast series by the Business Times, where we explore useful financial tips to help you on your money managing and wealth growing journey. I'm your host, Howie Lim. And helping us today is Stephanie Leung, Chief Investment Officer at Stashaway. So we're hearing a lot about how money and investing is strongly linked to emotions, including fear, shame, and anxiety. When these so-called survival mode emotions kick in, our body signals that we may be in danger. So how do we keep those emotions in check then? All of us as investors have gone through these different types of emotions, and sometimes it's just very, very hard. Making investment decisions actually are one of the things that are maybe most unnatural for us as human beings. I mean, there are a lot of very well-documented behavioral biases. A few of them maybe we're more familiar with. For example, loss aversion. Another one which is very popular is FOMO, fear of missing out, overconfidence. So all these different biases are embedded in our cognitive system as human beings, but these often work against us making good investment decisions. So to combat these human behavioral biases, we need to have different techniques. We launched a five-part series with Nir Yell, the Wall Street Journal best-selling author, to talk about science-backed tips to build some good financial habits. One of the tips that I really like is to practice the 10-minute rule. I mean, if you have an urge or a temptation to do something, let's say you want to make a decision to invest or make a decision to buy a stock or sell a stock, you take 10-minute pause. And that temptation very likely is going to be gone in 10 minutes. And that 10 minutes actually give you some time to really think about what are the reasonings behind these different investment decisions as well. Now, you can also extend that to other more important financial decisions in your life and take a few days. One good rule of thumb is maybe 72 hours, three days to think about these decisions before you actually make them. How feasible is it to remove emotions from the decision-making process? And now we're supposed to focus on the realities of today's market environment rather than our own biases? A recent study by Economics Letters also found one is more likely to invest in safer and sustainable funds when one's in a bad mood. I'm betting many investors are in one of those moods these days, thanks to what's been going on recently. Especially in today's environment, it's very, very hard to differentiate between, for example, noise and actual useful information that can help you to make investment decisions. One good tip is actually to minimize the human element involved in these decisions. How can this be done? Several ways. For example, the reason why we set up as a more systematic investment manager is because there are systems that we can use, there are historical data, there are analysis that we can do to actually take out the human emotion. So to take out the human bias, we can rely on systems to make investment decisions and asset allocation decisions. The second way is to limit the number of decisions that you have to make. For example, when we invest in the long term, we don't have to make that many decisions. This is in contrast to trading in the short term. For example, the more investment decisions you have to make every day, the more noise and the more difficult it is to overcome these human emotions. Inflation has been wreaking havoc on our savings. If you're not investing and just sitting on your money, you know it's losing value, right? 
So what can we do to protect our savings from those macroeconomic conditions such as inflation and also recession? If you look at economic environments, they actually don't change that much from a day-to-day basis. Now, of course, the news headlines can change. And every month we get new data coming in, like the latest Fed meeting, interest rates, inflation, etc., etc. So it may seem a lot, but from our analytics, actually, you can think about the economic cycle in four different states. Inflation and growth can move in different directions. But if you have high inflation, high growth, that is an inflationary growth environment. As you move into lower growth and still high inflation, I mean, that would be the stagflation environment. These environments don't change that much. From our historical analysis, it tends to change maybe once every year or once every two years. You can think about your asset allocation, right? When you make decisions on your portfolio according to what micro environment you're in, typically you have to make some pretty important decisions only once every year or once every two years. This is in contrast to what frequency a lot of people think they have to invest in or even make decisions on, which is much more infrequent than what most people think about. But isn't active monitoring important to navigating the changing tides of financial markets? And if we don't look, how can we manage our stock market anxiety and stress? Sometimes it may be the frequency of looking at returns. I'll just give you a very simple example. If we look at the S&P, the US stock market, over the past 50 years, it went up 43 times. On an annual basis every year, the S&P or US stocks would have given you 10% return. So out of that past 50 years, there were only 14 negative years. In percentage terms, there were 28% of the time where as investors, you would experience a negative return if you look at the S&P on an annual basis. However, if you check your investments on the S&P on a monthly basis, you would realize that out of the 745 months, there were actually 296 months that were negative. I.e., if you check on a monthly basis, you would experience 40% of the months which were negative, which means that you would be quite unhappy. So that frequency, that percentage actually goes up as you check more frequently. If you go to check on a daily basis or even worse, on an hourly basis, the likelihood that you're going to get a negative return actually goes even higher. If you see more negative returns, it's quite natural that you may actually cut your investments, you may sell. So it gets harder and harder to stay invested in the long term. So from this example, one good tip for investors is actually maybe you don't need to check your investment that often. And the more you check, the more likely, going back to the first point that we discussed, the more likely that you're going to be affected by emotions and maybe sell your investments too early. Still to come, what's hampering people from investing besides fear? And what wealth building opportunities are there in 2023? A brand new monthly podcast inspired by the Business Times column, Off the Record joins the BT Podcasts lineup in April. Conversations in which editors from the newsrooms of SPH Media Trust discuss the modern news industry from their insider's perspective. Editors Talk will feature straight-talking editors addressing challenges, strategies and offer insights into how newsrooms have had to adapt in the face of digital transformation. Information that might just offer you answers in your business sector's digital transformation journey. First episode out in April. And now, back to Money Hacks from the Business Times. 
Market volatility, especially when it's resulting in asset prices declining, can make investors very emotional. And of course, fear breeds poor investment decisions. And it's not uncommon for investors to give up on investing after a difficult time in the market. But we know investing is a key wealth builder over time. And the earlier you start investing, the more time your money has to grow. What if one feels it's too late, or worse, gets carried away by soaring stock prices and dives right in? One thing to remember is it's never too late to start investing. For different type of people or people at the different life stages, they have different risk appetites. Investing is not all about just putting all your money in stocks, right? Because stocks can be inherently quite high risk. There are actually many asset classes out there that can provide you with lower risk than stocks, but better returns than a bank deposit or even worse, just putting your money in a mattress. If you think about the current environment, especially inflation is rising. So putting your money under the mattress or not earning returns is basically eroding your purchasing power in the future. We all need to think about how we do our asset allocation so that it corresponds to your risk appetite and also your time horizon. If you have a longer time horizon, you can actually afford to have investments that are high risk. High risk means that over time, your investment will grow, but during that period, you may experience bigger drawdowns. For people with shorter time horizons or low risk appetites, you can invest in lower risk asset classes, for example, bonds, because these would actually give you more stable returns, meaning that the drawdowns you experience during the investment period would actually be lower. There are many different types of investments that are suitable for people with different risk appetite. The important thing is to look at what your risk appetite is and invest in the right asset classes. If you put your money in a bank or under the mattress, the interest that you earn is going to be quite substantially lower than what investment would give you, especially over a long time period. So everybody, I mean, you start investing and it's really never too late. OCBC Financial Wellness Index 2022 says more people in Singapore are seeing poorer investment returns, increased debt stress and retirement plans knocked off track. And we're still hearing about many not investing, which is also concerning. What's lacking in all this information out there that prevents these people from doing what's so essential to long-term wealth building? The problem that we have is a lack of unbiased information on investment and personal finance wellness out there. When we get these financial information, a lot of times it's from the banks or fund managers who are trying to sell the products. So most of the information is actually more product-based. So what we try to do is to actually remove that bias and teach people the very, very basics of personal finance. We start by reviewing what you currently have and what your financial goals are. Then you understand your risk appetite. Then you can select the right asset allocations and the right asset classes to be invested in. I also think that there is a misunderstanding or confusion between trading and investment. The two are actually very, very different. In trading, we try to benefit from the shorter-term volatilities of an asset class. So, for example, if an asset is being chased after by many investors, that asset may become overvalued. And at different times when there's fear in the market, that asset becomes undervalued. So trading is really about taking advantage of these short-term fluctuations in the market to try to profit from it. 
investing is actually quite different. So if you think about investing in different asset classes, they naturally generate return for you because there is a fundamental reason why they would give you that long-term return. I'll give you an example. Let's say when we invest in stocks, we're trying to benefit from the earnings growth that the company or an economy provides. And when we invest in bonds, I mean, we're trying to benefit uh, from the income that the bond issuer would also provide. So these are fundamentally true. These things actually make fundamental sense versus trading where you're trying to benefit from some more random movement in the market. Investing is actually a lot more simpler than trading. And that's why when we think about trading, it's very, very hard, but not enough people actually pay attention to the investing part of it and also why returns are generated. Having multiple income streams and this passive income have proven to help in wealth generation. And for many of us, our homes are our largest assets. Apparently, homeowners build wealth faster than non-homeowners. Maybe we could do that. We're in Asia. A majority of our wealth is actually in homes. And historically, that is also because Asian home prices have benefited from the high economic growth that we have experienced in the past 20, maybe 30, 40 years. The same may not be true for mature economies. Look north to Japan. The lesson here is that as the economies mature, we have to think about how we actually diversify our wealth outside of the home that we own as well. Because there are a higher growth areas that we can think about. One, for example, the technology companies have grown a lot in the past 20 years and they will continue to grow. That's a bit polarizing though. (laughs) Companies are also kind of going through a thing right now with the cutting of staff and all that. Not very encouraging the signs look. Also, if you look at tech companies today versus 12 months ago, Valuations have come down a lot, right? So they are a lot cheaper. If you look at downsizing of the tech companies, you can think about it from the glass half full side as well, right? As they cut staff, they would save on cost. And as shareholders of these companies, you can benefit from lower cost and higher margin. The whole tech sector is going through a difficult patch right now. But if you look into the long term as longer term investors, now may not be a bad time to to start thinking about having some exposure if you don't already. Because as we go through these tough patches, we've gone through them before, as I mentioned, history repeats itself. Think about year 2000, right? When we had a tech bubble, things were very, very frothy at the top of the bubble. It bursted. And for a few years, tech companies were having a difficult time. But out from the dot-com bubble, we have very big companies coming out like Google, Amazon, etc. All these companies actually grew out from the bubble. If we think about ourselves, where growth is going to be in the next few years or even 10, 20 years still, I mean, technology are a very, very exciting area. We've all heard about artificial intelligence, chat GPT, etc. These are technologies that can help us to increase productivity very significantly over the next few years. So maybe think about where you as an investor can also benefit from that. Hopefully it's not all depressing news and there are investment opportunities for us to grow our wealth in 2023. Investing can be very counterintuitive and that's why making these decisions can be quite hard. I talked about uh, technology as a long-term return and growth driver. In 2023, of course, we have a very tough macro environment, especially when we track where we are in the macro cycle. In many developed economies, we're going into a stagflation regime 
this year, growth is going to be challenged. The fight versus inflation is, is still on. In this environment, it pays to be a bit more patient with your investments. Now, of course, staying long term is one good idea. And if you need to position your portfolio through the turbulence in 2023, there are a few areas that are looking quite interesting. These are mostly safer areas. For example, bonds and particularly short-dated U.S. treasuries are now given 5% in terms of annual interest or return, which is not too bad for a risk-free asset class. The second area is gold. If you look at gold return in a recessionary environment or a historically tough environment, it typically tends to outperform or even generate positive returns compared to equities. So if you only have equities in your portfolio, gold would be a good balancing asset. The last area is emerging market assets. Now, this includes equities and bonds. Given that if we look at the emerging market cycle, it's somewhat to the reverse of the developed market cycle because developed markets are heading closer and closer to a recession. But in emerging markets, driven by China's emergence from a very slow economic growth environment on a relative basis, that looks more interesting. There are some pockets of different asset classes which look quite attractive despite the macro environment. And what we advise our customers and also investors is that you should build a diversified portfolio. And having these different building blocks can actually help your portfolio to weather through these very turbulent times. We've been discussing long-term wealth building and avoiding emotional investing. A big thanks to Stephanie Leung, Chief Investment Officer at Stashaway. And that's a wrap for this episode of Money Hacks. I'm Howie Lim. Till next time. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.